0: 167 days in space, over 38 hours performing spacewalks, traveling more than 6 million miles, making hundreds of orbits about the Earth. But how did I get there? This is the making of an ordinary spaceman. I'm Clayton C. Anderson, and these are my stories. One of the key concepts that I would learn throughout my NASA career was that idea of mentoring. Um, Mm -hmm. Placing veteran engineers with young and very green newbies. And let me tell you, in 1981, when I first showed up at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, I was really green and I was really a newbie. And all that Mentoring from veteran engineers helped to foster a faster sharing of knowledge brought me up to speed more quickly such that I could actually do something, right? Uh, An inexperienced engineer like me with a physics degree from a small school in Nebraska and a master's degree in aero, which was, you know, well short of perhaps the foundational education things that many kids would get if they went through the whole aerospace engineering program, kind of left me inexperienced. So, In order to contribute, I needed a mentor. And one of my mentors is our next guest. Um, Our next guest is a guy who's brilliant, uh, a lot of fun, great sense of humor. But he couldn't be with us this week, so we invited Al (laughs) DuPont. (laughs) But Al DuPont uh, is connecting with us from Houston, Texas today. And, uh, We go, we've spent a lot of time together. Um, We first met in 1983. Uh, We've been fast friends ever since. Uh, He is the godfather of, he is the godfather of my two children. (laughs) And uh, Al, I want to start out with you today. So we're on a theme of space flight, as you well know, is a team concept idea. And a lot of people use the clever catchphrase that, Spaceflight is the ultimate team sport. Uh, I cannot disagree, and uh, a mentor like you who took care of me early in my career and became a great friend uh, throughout my career, I want to start with uh, asking you to share a little bit about your background, and not yet at NASA, but I want to tell you a background about where you're from.
1: Okay, Wow. Well, I was uh, born in, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was born in. Wait, Bel-
0: not, not quite that far back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> when I left high school, I went to the University of Cincinnati because uh, sometime in about 1957 and 58, I was inspired by Sputnik and the upcoming uh, NASA Mercury project to switch from my interest in airplanes to space. And the University of Cincinnati was one of the few places uh, in the country at the time, this is 1962, uh, that actually had an aerospace curriculum. So I went there, and uh, they had uh, what they called a co-op program. That meant that you got a job that the university found for you in your field. And so you worked half the year, and you went to school half the year.
0: I thought thought co-op was the sound that... uh (laughs) That a cow pie makes when it hits the wall. Cool. <laughs> that's an old, old joke. Go, I'm sorry, I'll go ahead.
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, and uh, they coincidentally sent me uh, my first job to the Manned Spacecraft Center in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I cut my teeth, as you call, talked about it, the mentoring part. I was mentored by many of the engineers there. And uh, then uh, when I graduated in '67, uh, they offered me a position, and so uh, I've been there ever since. Uh, it 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 was the beginning of a 53-year career at NASA. Um, my background, of course, was aerospace engineering, um, and uh, my expertise there at NASA was orbital mechanics—how things move around a central body—and uh, more specifically, as as uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing called rendezvous and proximity operations.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I haven't heard those terms in about a hundred years. We still yeah. do that.
1: <laughs> I think they still do. Is
0: there funding for that?
1: <laughs> so, um, but I was, as I said, I grew up in Hawaii, and uh, it was a fun place to grow up in. Very different, of course, when I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, in 1962. <laughs> you think uh, very much of a cultural shock. Um, not so bad moving to Texas because Texas was a warm place. Yeah, and I liked warm, <laughs> uh, and so uh, I was down here in, uh, in Texas in uh, the uh, uh, in the winter and the summer, and up in Cincinnati in the spring and the fall. So, so you did two got, uh, two co-op terms. Uh, I co-op for three years. So I was, it was six terms, six terms. Okay. Yeah. Six terms. Of course it made your college uh, career a year longer, but I think, uh, the benefit of the, not only the dollars, but the experience of working and the mentoring part of it was just superb. You know, I learned stuff at NASA working in my co-op time that, uh, was very difficult for me trying to learn at school during a class. Sure. But at NASA, you got it right away because uh, you, you were right in the nuts and bolts of people there to help you. And you knew that what you were doing was going to lead to some thing you actually wanted to accomplish. And so much easier to learn that way.
0: I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, uh, going to school and, and that's what I try to do at Iowa St- state where I teach today is I try to give kids, tools that actually will help them immediately when they go into the job because all that stuff you learned in, in the books is good, but it doesn't give you the practical application. Right. So so when you were early in your NASA career, was there a, in your co-op career too, was there a, a mentor that stood out for you?
1: Uh, actually, there were many, really. Yeah. It was it an was unbelievable time. Uh, although, you know, even at the Apollo time, the average age there at the Johnson Space Center, was 29 so <laughs> there wasn't a lot of old heads around but there were some um uh i, I think my uh my immediate uh, branch boss uh, ed lineberry was a super intelligent super smart uh, genius almost and uh he was always very good at, at working with us and explaining things uh, a guy named ken young was the same way my immediate boss bob becker uh, <laughs> Also a big help. He was kind of a crazy guy, but um, he was a big help in not, not only the technical stuff, but how do you do the management stuff? How do you, how do you work with other people? Yeah. Uh, how do you get along? How do you get your, your, answer, your questions answered and the things you want to say said? Um, those guys were, were a great, great help.
0: Now, this may be of interest to our listeners in that when I came (laughs) to NASA in 1984 and began my job in the Mission Planning and Analysis Division, which was where Al was working at the time, I worked for Ed Limeberry, and for Ken Young, because they were still there. And, of course, you know, the first time I met Al, and his recollection may be a little different, but uh, I met Al's desk long before I met Al. <laughs> and I would, I would walk in every day. So my mentor at uh, NASA at the time was a guy named Mickey Donahue. And uh, – Al was a mentor as well, but Al's focus at the time was on rendezvous, the part where two objects come together in space. Mickey Donahue was my mentor in working with once you get them close enough in space, then when you want to bring them really close, what do you do? And that's what Mickey's expertise was in. Well, anyway, I would come see Mickey every day because his desk was near Al's, but Al was never at his desk. And I looked at his little name tag, and and back in those days, you had these little plastic letters, and you broke them off from a... A, a, a shape, uh, what do you call it, a, a template. And so Al would break off the A and the L and the D-U-P-O-N-T, and then he'd take uh, glue, airplane glue, and he'd glue it to a plastic thing that slipped in a slide. Well, Al's glue was no good or something because most of the letters of his name had fallen off. So I'd come into this empty desk where I could didn't really know his name yet, and it turns out that Al was vacationing in Hawaii. <laughs> Damn it. And, you know, it was awesome because then I finally would meet Al, and we would become uh, good friends at first, and then we began to work together, and Al would eventually become my boss. So, Al, I want, I want you to tell in, in the most layperson way you can, and I know you can do it, uh, what you did, what it was exactly that you did for the Gemini and Apollo programs, because I think it's fascinating.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's you know
0: Fascinating. Uh,
1: that's not a question I haven't been asked before. And a lot of times at parties and whatnot with lay people, and then you go, well, what in the world do you say?
0: You say, I'm <laughs> so, from the government and I'm here to help
1: you you. you. you said it pretty well, I think, at first, is, is it uh, uh, that the, the area, of course, is how do things move around a central body like the earth? How, how do things orbit around the earth? And then more specifically, if you have one thing going around and around the earth, how do you get it to meet up with another thing going around around the earth in a different place? Um, that's the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you uh, maybe familiar with, with football or, or anything that you have to say, toss a ball to someone who's running and, and how you, you toss the ball where they're going to be instead of where they are in order for them to run over and catch it. That's kind of like rendezvous is, is how do you, move the spacecraft that you want to move in such a way that it catches up and reaches the one ahead of it. And then proximity operations is part of that, but it's the last part. It's maybe a, a kilometer or, you know, like 3000 feet or so on end to maybe docking or capture. Um, maybe the last 500 feet, 160 meters is the most important part, of, you know, the main thing about doing this is you don't want to collide with whatever it is you're trying to reach. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, not a good day. So,
0: But it'd make for a great movie. It very
1: slowly <laughs> and realizing of course that you know the things up there are moving about 17,000 miles an hour and we want to actually approach something at around what uh, a couple of tenths of a foot per second or, or even less. So it's, it's really a, a fine thing. You know, there's a lot of gross stuff to go long distances, and then there's a lot of really fine stuff. Um, and that was an important part uh, of the Apollo program, because uh, what the, the engineers and scientists had decided early on was that we would take two vehicles to the moon, orbit them around the moon, They would separate, one would go down to the lunar surface, but that meant it had to come back up and rendezvous with what was already up there. If that didn't happen, uh, we could have had some dire consequences with the crew. So very, very important part of the Apollo program. And in order to do that, we started trying to figure it out way back in Germany several years earlier. Uh, It was something that all of us, uh, I think, uh, thought about, uh, had mathematics for it, but never being really done uh, in, in the space environment. It was it was uh, fairly difficult at first, trying to get all the pieces put together. But the Gemini program was instrumental in really fleshing out the things we needed to know. So by the time we got to Apollo, uh, we were getting things uh, fairly well coordinated.
0: Well, I think there's another good story I would like you to share, perhaps, that I learned simply being an engineer there. So you're back in those days where you're figuring all this out for the very first time and we're sending humans to the lunar surface for the very first time. Uh, we didn't get it right every time, but we were pretty good most of the time. But when we landed those two gentlemen, uh, Armstrong and Aldrin, on the surface of the moon, uh there were some celebrations back in uh in the area of NASA Johnson Space Center. There area. were? I, I think there were. Are there any stories you might like to share with our listeners about some of the things that uh happened with those very intelligent and dedicated professionals?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, as, I, as you recall, I mentioned earlier how young <laughs> many of us were at the time. Good caveat. And, uh, <laughs> and besides this serious aspect of all the, the work we did at NASA, being young made us all a bit crazy, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, indestructible. So the parties that, uh, and, and, and again, it was, it was huge accomplishments that, that went on at the time never been done things in the history of mankind. And so uh, people were very excited when they were successful. So we had some monstrous parties. (laughs) Um, I mean, typically uh, uh, the the street that runs in front of the space center is called NASA road one. And uh, typically after a part, after the parties got started, there are four hotels, by the way, right in that area within walking distance. NASA Road one was essentially a parking lot the car no car was moving every car was parked thousands <laughs> of people were going from hotel to hotel um, talking and, and 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 enjoying themselves <laughs> uh, with various brews that were being given out for free uh, and uh, it's humorous that later in in uh, my career when I was dealing with a lot of young people who weren't around at the time and I point out some major manager and say, well, I used to know him when he did such and so, and they would look at me with these wide eyes of disbelief, not recalling that that guy was, you know, 24 at the time, having a good time with the successes that that we had during the Apollo program. Fun times, a lot of hard work. Um, Back then it was get it done. Don't care how long it takes. Don't care how much it costs, you know, do it and do it right and so people were working long long hours uh, uh, by themselves with teams Uh, it was it was kind of a tremendous time really uh, to look back on it Uh, um, lots of angst going on because things were so new and we weren't quite sure they would work but they did and so we partied
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think it's uh, that's a great answer I, i love that and it's important for our listeners to understand uh, that work ethic that you people exhibited, that you worked long hours, uh, dedicated hours, you worked hard, you were solving problems that had never been, never had to been solved before. And I always like to contrast that a little bit with my experience with the Russians uh, when I was working as an engineer at JSC, but then became an astronaut, in that sometimes their team of engineers just like yours had the same work ethic and the same dedication, yet they would have to do it without being paid for a while because their funding was so low that they were doing a job basically for free to do the right thing for their space program and their nation. And and yep. I think young people from America need to hear that and understand that there's a lot of people around the world that are dedicated that do things for uh, a lot less. So um, Absolutely. Now I want you to segue that's a good segue. You as that young engineer doing those cool things that led to uh success with the Apollo program um, you had some specific duties right as i as I recall for the Apollo program
1: uh yes uh, in the in the area that we worked as you know we had various broad duties in that we uh worked on the generation of software that would be eventually on board the the spacecraft and software that eventually would end up in the control center for the controllers to use uh, during the flights. We worked on analyzing the uh, orbital mechanics so that we could do rendezvous and props off. So we did analysis. And then we even did crew training in in simulators uh, to, to train the crew of how to use this software how to be familiar, familiar with, uh, the different types of rendezvous. So it was a broad spectrum of things we did. And so it was a lot of fun. Uh, um, mainly, I mean, I did all those types of things. Mainly I, I, I did, the, again, the, the analysis and the generation of how to do rendezvous, what mm-hmm. kinds of maneuvers you do when for what situations, um, in particular, um, uh, Was something called abort and rescues. Uh, Around the moon, for instance, uh, when the two vehicles that I talked about earlier were separated, uh, we always had to know if something went wrong, how do we get the two vehicles back together so we could bring all the astronauts uh, safely back home? And so it was a tremendous amount of work um, analyzing and creating varying scenarios so that at every instant of time, Uh, We knew exactly what to do if something went wrong and the two vehicles had had to get back together in orbit while they were on the surface, while they were coming up, going down. The the whole works we had to analyze to ensure that uh, we could uh, get the crew back uh, safely.
0: Al, did you have any, um, and I think I know the answer is yes, but duties with respect to the Apollo 13 explosion and bringing those guys back home?
1: Actually, not so much in that, uh, uh, as I said, my main duties were revolving around rendezvous. uh, And the main time that occurred was after they went into lunar orbit Mm -hmm. and and separated. Apollo 13 never did that. Uh. So my involvement was, was uh, for Apollo 13 was pretty sideline in, uh, in lower level, helping some teams do some things, but, Mainly I wasn't involved as much as like you saw in the, you know, the movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that was you sitting there
1: <laughs> next, yeah.
0: next to uh, Ron Howard's brother. Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's, uh, we've got a little background on, on what you did and, and your history. So now I know that our podcast listeners are just ready to hear what it was like when you became Clay Anderson's boss. Well, <laughs> be gentle.
1: Well, first thing, I never saw him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because I wasn't around. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, <laughs> we talked about this earlier, um, and you mentioned it several times. You were intelligent, you had degrees, uh, but you were inexperienced, especially in the duties that you're being asked to do in, in the area where we worked. You know, I've at that, around that time, I was 40 years old. I'd been through Gemini, through Apollo, through uh, Skylab, through Apollo Soyuz. Um, so I was a pretty seasoned guy by then, but mm-hmm. you were, you were pretty raw. And I think uh, working, as you said, with the people you work with and uh, doing task after task after task, you, I think you quickly uh, got your feet on the ground and we're doing well. The thing I remember uh, well, of course, was you put out what we and Internally called an internal note, which essentially was a scientific paper um, uh, that uh, was, uh, I think, entitled uh, "Run uh, Prox Ops: Proximity Operations." And we, uh, this was especially important. This was a time when the shuttle, the space shuttle, had uh, just been certified, was ready to do flights, and the area we were in was responsible for planning the upcoming flights that were had to do with rendezvous and prox as shuttle, the space shuttle went to visit some satellites and was also going to dump out some satellites and do some maneuvering around them. So proximity operations was very important. One hiccup was that we found that, uh, well, in precip- when you get close to something and, you, and you're closing on it, you want to break. The natural thing would be to fire rockets that point at it so it'll push you backwards. Unfortunately, for the shuttle being so big and having such big rockets, we would actually push the satellite away and maybe even cause it to tumble and lose control. Very bad. Very bad. So the shuttle presented a unique problem for Proxops. And I think you worked on this uh, very well by by, uh, coincidentally, the shuttle had uh, its rockets that, that actually pushed it down or up from the nose and from the tail were canted in such a way that they gave thrust in two different directions, both the up and down, and in fact, the breaking forward. So you did this whole huge study about how do we handle proximity operations inside 500 feet uh, and using these offset jets to break us more slowly and, and, and put most of the thrust away from the satellite and stop all this bad stuff that could happen. Um, I thought it was a definitive uh, internal note uh, Um, It solidified that we were going to use this, that we had to change some of the shuttle software to be able to access those jets uh, easily and also um, define how well, how we were going to fly when we were near an object because of this uh, plume impingement uh, problem on the shuttle. So, so again, uh, you came in raw, but you, you were moving on quickly. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, thank you for those uh, kind words, sir. Uh, the check's in the mail. <clears throat> um, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would say that there, it brings back great memories, and one of the coolest things for me is that as a young NASA engineer with guys like you, and and, and not just guys is a generic term, right, ladies and gentlemen like you, uh, I would work on the shuttle, and I would work on the shuttle as it would approach – a space station. And back in those days, we had no idea what the space station was going to look like. We had multiple configurations. We had multiple techniques for how that shuttle would rendezvous and dock with a different, those different stations. But the coolest thing for me is after working on all that, I got to fly on the shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> I got to rendezvous and dock with the International Space Station. And by the way, I was a key player on rendezvous, and our KU band radar and STS-131 failed, and we had to do it in the old-fashioned way, so that's pretty cool. And then when we docked, I lived on the International Space Station. So, you know, for a young kid like me that came through uh, Mission Planning and Analysis Division with you and Mickey and those folks, uh, that was the ultimate uh, ending for me and, and – uh, just Aren't great- you
1: glad you got a lot of that stuff right? Huh? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember one, one time I was a little unhappy at work and, and a, and a headhunter came in. And, you know, headhunters, I guess, were looking for employees because they were they were having NASA contracts at these various companies and they wanted to fill those. So I went to Martin Marietta, I remember, and, and I was being interviewed by some guy. But he had a meeting, and he wasn't quite done. So he said, hey, go talk to this young engineer, and he'll tell you what we do. And it was so funny because this young engineer, he's trying to sound really important, right? And he says, here's the document we use to do all our definitive studies. And he pulls out this document, and it's the document I wrote. And I turn the cover like this, and I point at my name written by Clayton C. Anderson. And I pointed at that, and I said, that's me. (laughs) That was so cool. I mean, I was like, ah, I don't think he. I was haven't too heard high. that story. That is oh, you terrible. haven't heard that. I'm sorry. It, <laughs> no, it's true. Totally true. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I always found Al, and I think you you did too, that as we talked about before, there was a lot of intelligence in in our area, of course, throughout NASA, throughout JSC, the Johnson Space Center, but even in mission planning and analysis, there were some eccentric personalities, but but they did border on genius and. Your personality is, is awesome. I don't find you eccentric at all. I find you extremely intelligent, and I'm really glad that I had the, the opportunity to, to share and learn with you throughout my career as an engineer, because I think it made me a better astronaut. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. We did have some strange folks, yes. <laughs> well, not but they be... were brilliant.
0: They were brilliant until they drove a Jeep through a plate glass window or <laughs> Got hit in the back of the head with a hammer, but those are other stories for another podcast, That's right.
1: another time. Another so
0: time. I want to let people know again that you are a, a godparent for my children, our children, uh, Cole and Sutton. And uh, I also want you, to, I want to ask you to share a little bit about um, things we experienced together uh, when Anita was still alive and you know the golf that we played so what are there any things that highlight uh, for you the relationship that we have
1: um in general yes I don't know about so many specifics but um, I think uh, you know Anita especially was uh, was a, a big heart um, and so were her parents and so we uh, quickly took in this uh, guy who's all alone here in, in the big city and uh, brought him into the family. And so uh, I think very quickly you actually became family member rather than uh, employee or friend at work or whatever. So um, uh, you were always uh, uh, at uh, family gatherings, parties, thanksgivings, um, anything. You uh, even followed us to Hawaii uh, uh, um, for... Vacation times, so I think you tell this story about my mother, you having to sleep on a pallet <laughs> in Lanai since we were pretty booked up in the bedrooms with family, and uh, my mom getting up early hours and banging around and going, i <laughs> chaining the dog, and the dog clicking its nails all the way to the patio, the door where you were sleeping, slam the door, <laughs> Dog comes back, all same noises every day, every day of the I'm not sure I, how much sleep you got
0: through this whole vacation. It was awesome, but but the best story about your mom and your dad was, uh, you know, I don't. Do you know what's the mountain behind their where their house was? Did that mountain have a name? Not specific. It was a yeah. Kauai
1: mountain range.
0: And, yeah. well, anyway, behind Al's parents' house. In Kaneohe, Hawaii, was this beautiful, I mean, you know, it's Hawaii for God's sake, right? It's beautiful back there. And she had plants and and uh, uh, birds of paradise and, and all this stuff. And then she would go out every morning. It was so funny because there were four big marijuana plants. And I'm talking big marijuana plants. <laughs> And, and I shared this story at uh, Madeline's f- funeral with everybody, but I would go out there with Madeline because whenever she heard a helicopter flying over the backside of the mountain range, she would freak out because with four big old marijuana plants, she thought the the, uh, the cops or whatever, the, the drug enforcement agency or whatever was flying that helicopter over her house looking for marijuana plants. And, and then Francis, Al's dad, would come out and, and Francis was a man of few words and he was <laughs> but he yeah. but those words were typically hilarious and he would come out there and he would look and he would listen for a while and Madeline would be just jabbering 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 about those dang marijuana plants and he'd have to get rid of them and he'd go he'd just look at her and he'd go they're okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just such a it's such a special memory that I can can hold on to between Madeline and Francis and my time in Hawaii and then the fact that Susan and I got to go back with you for their 50th wedding anniversary and spend that time together so
1: yeah that was that was great Uh, just
0: just an awesome 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 those were monstrous
1: plants and of course he never used them he eventually cut (laughs) them down it was crazy I don't know
0: (laughs) yeah that's what that's what they told the authorities anyway (laughs) So, uh, before I ask you, if you have anything else you want to add, I have one more question for you, Al, and I would like to ask you, what was it like to spend 53
1: years at NASA? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I wrote a retirement letter that I think ex- expressed the same thoughts I'm going to say today, but. Uh, well, first, it, it was um, obviously a unique time in history. Um, I mean, it was the beginning of all the space effort of, of the United States and, and, and pretty much the world. So everything we did was just unique. Uh, so it was challenging. It was fun. Uh, uh, some of the crazy people helped out being fun. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh It it was a unique time to to work um, in the space uh, industry, but the thing that uh, you mentioned it earlier, the thing that uh, I I come to most is the ability to have worked with so many fabulous, intelligent, hardworking people, who could focus? Who could be goal oriented, but still was were fun and and, and um, had feelings for each other. It was a that's the tremendous part of working at NASA at the time uh, I was there. It was just the privilege of working with these just huge people. Uh, it was it was amazing, um, and that that was from everyone, right? From right. from people who just started to to the, the big bosses who were managing everything. It was it was a great cadre of people that, uh, it was, it was a fun time with good people.
0: Uh, well, that's, some,
1: that's, that's the thing I, I really remember.
0: That's excellent. And and for all the listeners to the podcast, you know, Al failed to mention here in his, uh, time with us today, the fact that he was a member, an original member of V bar and the drifters and <laughs> V <laughs> V bar and the drifters was a, Somewhat well-known, at least within the mission planning and analysis division, musical group. And this musical group was famous for its renditions at retirement parties for right. the person that was retiring with the lyrics written by me and others, yeah. <laughs> Al included. And we would always enjoy our time. Al's quite a musician, by the way, a, a ukulele player, a singer. Uh, he, he's, he's a renaissance man, so... Uh, To all of you out there, if you ever get a chance to swing by First Presbyterian Church in uh, Houston, Texas, uh, look up in the choir because you're going to see this handsome man with a beautiful golden voice. So uh, Al, is there anything else you'd like to share with our podcast listeners today?
1: One thing, um, at the time we were going through most of this stuff, I I didn't know this story. Um, It's a story, I mean, as we mentioned, you came to NASA on Learned and intelligent, but green, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and and I didn't know, uh, like I, I had an inspiration to to work in the space industry, but I didn't know that you had one too. And and I remember uh, eventually hearing the story that about your mother, Alice, making you a spacesuit uh-huh. for Halloween. <laughs> and that maybe was at least one of the inspirations that led you to your space career and, and eventually uh, being a, an astronaut. And she made that
0: suit, um, you know, back in those days, there's no Costco, there's no Target, there's no Walmart. Right. So you can't go buy uh, Superman with the really nice abs or Wonder Woman <laughs> or Spider-Man, right? So. Uh, mom went in her closet and she grabbed a hat box and she took that hat box out and she cut a spot for my eyes and she cut a hole for my head and she put a pipe cleaner on the top that was connected to a styrofoam ball so that i could speak to the aliens and she wrapped (laughs) the entire thing everything in aluminum foil and so in my hometown of ashland where we're broadcasting from today uh we have a summer festival called the stirrup the stirrup Trouble stir up fun, stir up excitement, right? And one of the events is a kitty parade where young kids marched in front of judges. So uh, I was very uh, fortunate to have mom and that creativity as I marched in that parade. But I did not win; I lost. <laughs> To a girl in a blue gingham dress with a picnic basket on her arm, and in that pis- picnic basket was a live puppy, and I think that's cheating. Oh, that, that did it. Yeah, that did it. <laughs> but yes, that's a great story and a great memory of mom. And and you never met my father, but I can only imagine yeah. you you two guys would have hit it off big time. Trust me on that, big time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Al, for being with Hi, us today, welcome. and uh, we appreciate you very much. Of course. Uh, my family and I, we love you and we love you and Kay and we loved you and we loved Anita and we love your family. Uh, we look forward to the next time we can break bread together and, and you and I can hit the little white uh, ball around doing some white tra- trajectory analysis with perturbation theory. That's right. <laughs> Mostly perturbation.
1: <laughs> Less reliable
0: than <laughs> oh, Yeah, Oh yeah. Although the concepts are similar. <laughs> That's right. So take care, my friend. I love you. You're my brother, and thanks for being with us today. All right. See you soon. Please rate, review, follow, and subscribe as it helps others find my podcast. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to my dear friend Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller fame for the use of his talents and music. A Media Production.